0: Well, amen. Thank you, John. Appreciate you leading us tonight. I think I've said this before. Many of you know John will go and lead in Awana because Awana starts over there at 615. John will actually lead in Awana, turn around, walk over here, and uh, lead music for us all in about 30 minutes. So he, he wears many hats on a Wednesday night uh, as he travels over here. But I uh, do want to uh, thank you for being here tonight as we enter our second week of walking through the Apostles' Creed, and so uh, many of you are familiar with uh, this from last week. In particular, we spent a whole week just kind of introducing the idea of studying the Apostles' Creed, why we would look at this, the purpose of stopping and looking through a creed like this, and why it's important to our Christian faith. If for some reason uh, you missed last week or uh, miss a week, we do have uh, the pastor's class, if you go online, you can go to our podcast, and we actually record these and place them online. I don't want to share that too much. You might uh, listen at home and not come. I don't want to encourage that too much. Uh, but seriously, uh, if for some reason you miss a week, or a lot of times I'll get people come up and say something to me, they listen, and they may uh, not be, may be a part of a Awana or something else and can't be here, and you can listen. So go, you can go back and listen to the pastor's start. Uh, last week. Now a couple things I want to mention uh, before. Brother Tim's got uh, handouts. If for some reason you didn't grab a handout on the way in, just slide your hand up right now. Don't be shy about it. And Brother Tim's going to walk around. He can make sure you get one. So for some reason you missed the handout, raise your hand and he'll make sure that you get one uh, for the night to walk through for our study. I've tried to put uh, you'll want one because we have scripture in it as well as several of my points that'll help you uh, follow along with what we're going to talk about tonight also want to mention, uh, we do we are following a little bit. We have several resources that we're using in particular. Uh, but the, the primary resource I would encourage as we walk through this, and I, I realized I was brought it in, I took the book cover off. So I can hold it up, but it looks like about every other book uh, that we have. But there's uh, Albert Moeller. That's right. Hold that up there for Miss Sandy. You can show everybody. Uh, we have, uh, there's a, what the blue book looks like. But it is a, a walk-through chapter by chapter of each of the phrases in the Apostles' Creed. And so there'll be several things. I'll even actually read an excerpt from the book tonight. There'll be some of that, but we'll draw from different stuff as we walk through it. But if you're looking for a resource to help read along as we go through it, I would encourage you to pick that book up as we process through and read uh, the Apostles' Creed. So what I'd like to do is uh, start off by reading it. and uh, we'll, we'll maybe do that every single week. Most of you... To pastor Ask about this last week, I was surprised. How many of you grew up in a tradition where this is something that you would recite? Um, somebody even asked me this earlier, um, is that there are, there's kind of a traditional version and there are some updated versions. So in essence, some of you would have re- said this and you might have said Holy Ghost instead of Holy Spirit. And so some of this is just a, a more modern language that you would use. Uh, it's a little bit more updated. So it might be a little variant of what you're used to, uh, but very similar. So somebody asked me about that earlier. But in essence, I'd like to read through this. I even thought about us reading it together. So as I read through, if you'd like to read along with me, you're welcome uh, to read out loud as we walk through it. So I'll begin reading uh, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified. (laughs) We're done, aren't we? I guess we need to do a little (laughs) proofreading. If you didn't get the handout, you don't get it. All right. It threw me too. I was like, what am I reading? All right, we'll try that again. Suffered under Pontius Pilate. Was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, whence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the everlasting life. Amen. Amen to that. Let me say a word of prayer for us before we jump in tonight. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time together to study what we believe as Christians. Uh, Even as we do this, we will look towards your word, which informs everything that we believe. And Lord, may this time be instructive and encouraging to us and uh, helpful to us as we desire to follow you with our lives. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, uh, we'll take, like, like I said walk through each of these phrases and almost break it down word for word. So in essence you'll see what I have tonight is simply just I'll look at the phrase, I believe and then I'll have some scriptures and some points under that we'll talk about as we take each week. In fact the creed begins and we'll repeat again this phrase I believe. It's not simply just a statement of what we believe we are stating and saying when we say this that we believe and affirm these things if you think about it i think i was talking to somebody earlier about they grew up reciting this and if you grew up in church sometimes rote reciting can make something familiar to the point you don't even really notice it it becomes pedestrian to you, you don't even think about the words But there is something significant and weighty about you saying, I believe. I mean, it's a great phrase to be able to claim and declare what you personally believe. Think back to even the day you became a Christian, right? You had to do this the day you placed your faith in Christ. You said, I believe believe that there is a God. You you had to to affirm that. You not only believe there was a God, you believe there was a holy God who had created this world and had made you and you believe that you were a sinner and that sin had separated you from God and you had to believe that Christ died for your sins. You, You had to believe that if you repented of your sin and you placed your faith, trusted in believed in the lord christ as your savior that you'll be saved so even at the very moment of salvation you are making a declaration of what you believe it's a weighty statement to come out of your mouth to say i believe blank you should take that seriously to whatever you would say or claim you believe look at john three in fact i read this sunday uh, for confession but i Just look at it and think about, again, saying, I believe. What kind of weight carries with it? Look at there in your notes. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life or eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever, here's the term again, believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. Here in the most famous verse, really, of the, the Bible, the one most people know, the one athletes paint along, you know, right on the black eye shadow below their eyes or whatever it might be, John 3.16, we talk about belief. It matters what you believe. At the core of your Christian life, belief matters. So when you say... As a Christian, you say, I believe. What what carries under that? So I just want to pause before we get into what we're actually going to say. I want to think about the term, I believe. I wrote four words there on your paper. The first word, when you say, I believe, it means commitment. It means you are committing to the things that you say. Some of us have... Commitment issues. Anybody have commitment issues in here? In other words, you you like to think and think long and hard before you make any decision, and oftentimes it makes it where you're slow to make a commitment. Some of this happens when you go shopping. Anybody have this issue? You're gonna shop for a price, for a deal. Maybe some of you read every review under the sun online. I mean, you'll spend days, hours, weeks, and you're so worried, I just got to pick the right one. I ever have this experience at all? Right? You, it's like a commitment. You're, you're worried if I commit to this one, but there might be this other one later, right? I've seen this happen even when it comes to getting in relationships. In other words, even as you somebody goes to pick a spouse, they're always thinking, that if I pick this one, is there one out there that may be better, right? Commitment issues. It's why it's tough to pick a career, right? You grow up, and you get to start getting out of high school, you're going into college, and you're starting to, or you're, you're graduating, you're starting to pick your life, and you think, well, i got to pick a career now, and you... You know, at this point, I'll say in my life right now, I've invested quite a bit to doing this particular thing with my life. If I all of a sudden decide tomorrow, well, I'd like to go be a lawyer, that's a pretty big shift, right? I've had to commit to what I was going to do in life. Some of you have done that. You've invested in time, into training, into classes, into the, the skill that you've developed over many years, and so that you can use this particular skill, this particular way, and you've committed your life to that thing. But in our culture, with religion, with philosophy, with a worldview, it's popular to not commit to anything. To say, I'm not going to pick anything and commit to any belief, because that's going to mean, I've got to say all the other ones are wrong. In other words, when you, when you choose, I'm going to buy this one, you have to be able to say, I'm not buying any of the rest of these. You say, I'm going to marry this person, I'm not going to marry any of the rest of these. You say, I'm going to pick this career, I'm not going to be able to pursue all of these other careers. Right, it's commitment. You choose to do something, when you do that, you set your mind and you, set, you connect yourself to that and say, I am committed to this. This is why a creed, like we're reading here, is radically different than what happens in modern America. People don't want to commit to what they believe. You think about going on record. If you were to sit with a lot of people who maybe aren't Christians or don't have much to do with the faith, if you actually sit down with them and say, what do you believe? How hard is it to get to them to actually commit to some sort of weighty real truth? Oftentimes people don't want to embrace or commit to any. Truth. In fact, I think with the danger of all our modern advances of medicine and, and everything that we have to be able to try to control life today, it begins to fool us to think, I really don't need God. I don't need any sort of religion. I'm pretty good just on my own. I don't actually have to commit to any sort of, believe. say, is that really true? I talked about this last semester. I gave this statistic, but there's a group of people in America that are in the religious world. We have, you know, we would call us, we would be part of the evangelicals. So if you were to do a a polling stat and you were to look at those that were of our like faith that would believe the gospel, we would fall into this this category of evangelical. Uh, But there's a group that has been steadily growing over the past few years, they're called the nuns. We're not talking about uh, a nun like you might think of in religious terms. We're talking about people that when it comes to marking a religion, they mark none. That they, they, they don't commit to anyone. They would say, I don't, I don't believe any of those things. Well, the poll that I was pulling from here in 2016 was the first year that that group eclipsed, um, there were more, of, more nuns in America than there were evangelicals. So um, when they were asked, what is your religious tradition, or Where do you, what is it you believe, the people claiming no religion now represents 23% of the population. Uh, in fact, no, this was 2019. That was up from 21% in 2016. People claiming evangelicalism, by contrast, now represent 22.5% of the culture, of of religious belief. So evangelicals now 22.5%, nuns are 23.1%. So if you think the fact that you would say, I believe, and list this out for 23% of Americans, they, they wouldn't say this. They wouldn't even make it to that point of the creed. That's how radical something like this makes it today. Because people will say, I, I don't believe in any religion. But when you open your mouth and you say, I believe, blank, you are committing to something here. So that's what I'm, when you, when you say, I believe, it's commitment. Here's the second one. It means you trust. So, so it means that when you say you believe this, you actually trust that it's true. You you have another word for this is faith, right? You you believe this is something that's actually true. By stating it, you're saying, I completely believe all this. I'm putting all my eggs in the basket. I'm all in. I trust this is what is true. You're putting your trust there. Now, Now, in reality, I have to be able to say that if I truly trust it, if I say to you, I trust that this chair would hold me up. But then if you ask me to sit at it, and I go, ah, I don't think I want to sit at it. I think I'll pass. Right? I, don't, I don't, you now know what I actually believe. But, but what you're stating is, when you say, I believe this, that means when I know I sit down, I trust that what we have here is true. So when we say this creed or whatever, w- we believe, we're stating to people, this is what I trust. This is like Hebrews 11. We'll talk about the Bible for a minute. When it it talks about faith, it's being sure of what we hope for and certain of things that we do not see. And then it goes through all the Old Testament, if you're familiar with it, Abraham and all these people. And it says, by faith, they acted. So when they put their belief in something, it resulted in trust in that thing. So, So when you say, I believe, you trust it. Let me give you the third word here, is uh, obedience. Put the verse there, James 2.17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Meaning that if you believe this, it ultimately results in obedience. It means I will do things that come up under this belief. So when you say, I believe these things, it means your life will be submitted to obeying the things that come from that. So again, when you say this phrase, it's a weighty thing to say, I believe. It carries weight because it will impact how you live. Here's a fourth one. Uh, It's community. Community and here 's what um, I think has been over the past few years in church has been really encouraging to me that i don 't know if i 've ever uh, appreciated before, and that is the community of believers that when I come to church that we share the same belief together so, so for example um, and there's several layers that I hope is encouraging to you, but, but I'll start this way is that maybe during the day you go to work and you walk into a job, wherever your job's at, and you sit in the middle of a group of people that if you said this, th- they would look at you like you grew a second head. Like they would, they would think what you believe is odd, they think it's ridiculous. They, they think that your views are narrow-minded or hateful. But if you, if you sit with them and you look around, you, you feel alone. There, there's a level when, you, when you're getting out there in the world, in the middle of life, you, you feel as if, does this, this what I hold, does, it any, does anybody hold to this? So, so let me carry that feeling over to just a few minutes ago when we sat in this room and we all went through And maybe you felt alone then. Hopefully right now, when we all sat there at the beginning and we said, I believe, and we all said it together, you don't feel quite so alone. In other words, when we say these things, and in particular, we we do this with music on a Sunday morning in particular. As we we sing together, you can listen to everybody singing around you and say, here's all these people that hold these things dear to them like I do me. And, And it should be encouraging to you. That when you read a creed like this, and let me carry it through three levels. One, that in the local church you're sitting next to other people that are believing this, holding this dear, and walking this with you. Let me step it further. When you believe something like this, you can look all over the world and you can travel all over the world and sit next to believers all over the world that will hold to these same things. Some of you have experienced this before on a mission trip. You've been somewhere, you traveled all the way to another side of the world where you share virtually no culture. You don't even share the same language. So there's really nothing that you have in common with this person except as soon as you start talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, that bonds you immediately. And you have this bond with this person that that you can't even speak their language but because of the so when we hold something dear when we hold this belief it bonds us to the church it bonds us to the global church and i want to press it further and the pastor mentioned this last week too it bonds us to history this is a creed that has been repeated for years and years in churches and so you say am i part of something that's just brand new that somebody made up a few years ago and i'm just riding the wave A few years ago, a few years from now, somebody's going to forget it. Or am I actually a part of something that has been weighty and held throughout the ages as something that's meaningful to what people believe? And so you pick up something like this that people have been repeating for hundreds of years, and go, you know what? I'm a part of a community of believers that not only goes around the world, but it goes back in history too. So hopefully, when you say this, you say, "I believe," and you make this stand. This is where I met. You feel the weight of what you're saying. So so when we say a creed or we hold to something like this, it is weighty for you to say these things. I hope for some of you, you've been in church a long time and it just becomes common language to say you believe these things. But I hope you understand the weight of what comes behind when you claim this for yourself. It is you stating what you actually believe. In fact, I'd even flip it a little bit and say, if you cannot say this, then it is a good reminder of what it means to be outside of Christ. These are the things that we hold dear as Christians. And if you've never said these things, it's a reminder of what you need to place your faith in and believe in in Christ. Because these are the things Christians hold common. So, I believe. First phrase. Now, Jump on the next one, breaking each one down. I believe in God. (laughs) Right? God. In fact, uh, seems kind of plain. But in 2020, that's a pretty radical belief in some regards sometimes, right? A lot of people don't believe in God. And even for those who may believe in God they have this vague, nondescript God. In other words, um, they've taken from movies or TV or some sort of cliche or some sort of saying book, and they just kind of refer to the man upstairs. Some sort of kind of cliche reference. And are they really actually talking about This God, or are they referencing a false God? Let me read. I thought Moeller talked about this in his book pretty well, so I'll read a short bit of a paragraph to you. He said, Pop spirituality pervades self-help conferences, best-selling books, and television talk shows. He gets a little strong here. He says, These fools. These fools speak about the supernatural, the sacred, the numinous, the holy, the divine, the unconditional, or the ground of being. He said, but no vague, nondescript, ambiguous deity can save. Only God can save. He said, these evasive and generalized idols of God amount to little more than flimsy little idolatries. So so to, to press that out, what I'm talking about is people that are claiming to speak about God himself, but doing it in these vague spiritual terms. And what makes us so distinct, again, starting out here, I believe in God the Father Almighty, we are beginning to define exactly who we believe in. And so, in this case, we're going to talk about who our God is. Now let me make a, kind of a, maybe this is obvious to you, but I want to make a statement. Our God is self-revealing. Meaning, He is the one revealing Himself. So, you have to go, You have to look and see what he is revealing to you. You don't figure out what you are revealing to yourself. In other words, God is revealing himself. He's the one doing the telling. We're the ones doing the listening. Romans 1. Many of you are familiar with this, but this carries this idea. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now, here's a phrase for you. We can know a few things about God from this little short few verses. First, um, the few things we know about God's existence is that we actually already know it. In other words, built into us, everyone knows there is a God. Nobody is actually an atheist at core. They may say they are, but at the very depths of their soul, the Bible says everybody has clearly seen a God exists. And so, for us, when we say this, we are declaring something, I believe in God, something that we know is true. Here's the second one, we suppress it. Meaning that what man has done is they're taking God and whatever belief that is welling up in their soul, and through their sin, pushing it back down and suppressing it. I'll illustrate it this way. My, my children all have uh, sleeping bags in uh, their rooms. They each have little uh, different sleeping bags. And they every once in a while, they're playing around. They like to pull them out, lay them out on the floor, and sometimes do a little camp out. Everybody sleeps in their sleeping bags on the floor. Well, um. When they're done, you got to take the sleeping bag and put it back in a bag that is way too small for the actual sleeping bag. I don't know if anybody's ever experienced this. My kids are completely incapable of being able to get it back in there. But it's, you, you, you get it in there halfway, and you spend all this time jamming it down there. In fact, one of my kids, the containers, is ripped open on the top from me trying to jam one down in there too hard. That being said, you get the idea of something coming out and having to try to suppress it, push it down, something that is welling up. And so because of our sin, when somebody is separated from the Lord, they're taking that belief about God and just pushing it down. They're using sin and all kinds of reasons and rations and thoughts to say, no, it's not true, not true, not true. But down deep in there, they're having to suppress it. Here's a third one, we need it. Meaning that we are hopelessly lost without God. Notice verse 18, God's wrath rests on us. So part of this knowledge of who God is, we need need God, we need him. And then finally, what I talked about earlier, uh, with these vague terms, we actually begin to replace God. Because even a person who's an atheist says, I don't believe in God, they have substituted some other idol for God. Nobody is without worship of something. And so they've just taken whatever God's place would be, and they've created some sort of idol and put that in the place of God. Notice Romans 1.25. Because they exchange the truth about God for a lie. They worship, people are still worshiping, and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. So everybody, and what is so radical about this statement, everybody is worshiping something. And in this moment, we're declaring we worship this particular God. We're going to define him. He's not this vague, cultural, spiritual thing. There's a very specific God that we worship. In fact, we immediately do that with the term Father. So we believe in God. The Father. So there's our first descriptor given of him. He's not some vague deity, but he is Father. The Bible uses analogies to help us. Now, one of the things I'm always careful about is uh, I don't don't like using my own analogies. I like using the Bible's analogies. So you've got to be careful sometimes by putting your own analogies describing God. However, the Bible does it real well. So when the Bible gives you a picture, an analogy, of God as Father, it's meant to be a helpful analogy. So let me walk you through, say, well, is God really Father? Let's take the Bible and give the reason we believe in God the Father. I'll just walk you through a few verses here. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 6, this is Old Testament. Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is He, is not He your Father? Father, who created you, who made you and established you. So even the very beginning in Deuteronomy, the Bible is referring to God as Father. Hosea 11.1 speaks to him. As we are a father to a child, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Psalm 68.5. He is the father of the fatherless and protector of widows. is God in his holy habitation. So God is Father. So you even see it in the Old Testament But it's really more of a shadow. It's there. It's not as clear as it gets to Jesus. So it becomes very clear when we get the Son, right? So let me read a few verses here. John chapter 10, verse 30. Jesus will say, I and the Father are one. Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 through 11. Passage I preached on just a couple weeks ago. Or which one of you, if he asks his son, ask him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? In fact, one of the things that opens up here is when we say Father, we begin to engage in the doctrine of the... gonna take a stab? Maybe I'll... The Trinity. Because as soon as you say Father, you now have Son and Spirit. So even in this very first term, you start to say, is it loaded up? Absolutely. We call him Father, and also undercurrent below that is the fact we believe in the Father, Son, and Spirit. It's going to show up in the, whole rest, in the rest of the creed, but even in the very beginning, we start to see the Trinity. Jesus will pray, Matthew 6, 9, what? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So let me tackle a couple, a couple tough questions on this. First question I want to tackle, is God the father of everyone? It was interesting that I'm not very good at remembering words to the songs, but that last song we were singing was really speaking about father, God the father, as kind of ruler over all. They had these phrases that led to God being ruler over all. So is it right for every person on the planet to say, uh, God is my father? Right? But there is a sense, there's this kind of dual part to this. Let me explain it. In fact, uh, he references in the book, I think it's very helpful. We have a, just pause here for a moment. This is a creed we're studying, but we have a statement of belief as a church called the Baptist Faith and Message. And it is another version of a creed. It is a statement, a summary of what we hold dear and unifies us as a church. So there's not some confusion that if we all affirm that, that if I know somebody's teaching your Sunday school class, they ought to be able to affirm everything in the Baptist faith and message. If there's a pastor here on staff, they ought to affirm everything that's held in that Baptist faith and message. And so I know if there's a person who joins our church, they ought to be able to affirm everything that's in that Baptist faith and message. So I ought to be able to take every member of this church and know that that statement of belief at the very core holds us together. It's a creed. So let's read the one. This is the statement on God as Father in the Baptist faith and message. It will be what our church holds to. Here's what it says. God as Father reigns with providential care over his universe, his creatures, and the flow of the stream of human history according to the purposes of his grace. So in some ways, just to pause here, not not that we're all God's children, but in a fatherly way, he rules and reigns over all creation. So as you all to see, God the Father is ruler and sovereign over all things. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, all loving, and all wise. So we got that portion. Now let's drop down, and here's the other half, in particular, the specific ways he's our Father. God the Father, God is Father in truth, and notice it's specific, to those. Notice before it was Father, he just reigns over it all. Now it's to a particular group of people. Notice what it says, to those who become children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. He is fatherly in his attitude towards all men. So there's this kind of general fatherly attitude towards all men. He rules over all creation as a father, but in specific, you only can call him your father if you are his child and a true follower of him. So so it's not to say that everybody can see him as his ruling father, but he is only your personal father if you are a believer and follower of Christ. So that's why... We say, I believe in God, our Father. He's the one we believe in. I believe in God, the Father. We, he is ours. So for us, this is our, our fatherly connection to God. So there's the question of, is God Father of everybody? <laughs> now let me tackle <laughs> the other one. So, so let's deal with the fact that if God is Father... Does that mean God is male? Like, not female, but male. God is, he is masculine. So so let's let's try to divide this a little bit in a way that's helpful. Because the answer is kind of yes and no, to parse it a little bit. Let me start here. Male is a biological term. In the sense of a, you're a male. There comes a biology. So I'll pause on this and say Jesus Christ is absolutely male. He is absolutely a man. There is nothing, no question is a part of who Christ is. But when it describes God as father, he's not a physical person. He doesn't walk around with, with a looking like and carrying the physical characteristics of being a man. Uh, but in his Essential divine essence, he is God the Father. We should never shy away from using masculine and fatherly language to describe God. It's biblical, it's right. Uh, But but at the same time, there's even times where God will be described in the Bible as a nursing mother who takes care of his people. So, So it's not like he's only ever described as Father. However, that is, in the the Bible, predominantly, God is described as father and not mother. He's described as king, not queen. He's described as lord and not lady. Even when you get to Christ, he's the groom, the church is the bride. So, So there's this sense of masculinity given to it. But it does not mean that God is male. And here's where I just want to pause and parse this for you a little bit a moment, because I think it uh, could be helpful uh, for females in this regard, in the sense that if you are a female, and everything about you that makes you distinctly female is still all made in the image of God. It all is coming, we're not going to say that only you as a male come from the image of God, and The female, in a whole, her regards don't bear that image. We all are bearing that image of God. However, the Bible uses the term father to describe God. We must embrace that. We don't need to shy away from it because sometimes earthly fathers are abusive or mean or fail to be good. We need to hold up and say he is the perfect father and know that he fulfills all of those things for us. And so we need to know and not shy away from the masculine language of Father. So there's my attempt to walk through uh, that challenging question. Let's deal with the last phrase here. Uh, Our God, uh, Father, Almighty. What do we mean by Almighty? Let's do a little bit of Bible study, and then we'll talk about the term Almighty. Now, I'll I'll pull that out. may not... To add to it, it's maybe more than what it appears on the surface. Uh, Genesis 17.1 uh, uses, when it's talking about God, uses a term many of you know, will recognize the Hebrew name for God here. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord, we're dealing with the Lord there, appeared to Abraham and said to him, uses the phrase, I am, and here's the phrase, God Almighty or the term El Shaddai. So so it's speaking of, in particular, God and his might, his strength. He is powerful. Uh, Daniel chapter 4 describes it this way, uh, as, as, uh, as God is being described. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He does according to his will among the hosts of heaven, and among the inhabitants of the earth none can stay his hand, or say to him, what have you done? God is almighty, absolute power. And so what we want to do is take that term almighty, and let me load it up for a second. I'm just going to mention several. If you've not studied the attributes of God, I'm going to do my best to do this quickly. Uh, In the term almighty, I'd take the term omnipotence. God is all powerful. He has all power and all creation. Dump that into almighty. Another term, omniscience. God knows all things. There's nothing outside of God's knowledge. So omnipotent, omniscient, he is omnipresent, meaning that means he is everywhere. There is not a place in which God is not and does not see. His presence is carried everywhere. So God is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. He is self-existent, meaning that God exists apart from anything else supporting him. You And I need God for us to exist. In fact, it says he holds the universe together. And so there's a level at which we've got to have him. He does not need us. He does not need anything. He is completely self-existent. All power rests in him. And the final uh, term I'll use here is immutability. Immutability. Meaning that God does not change. He he, He stays the same. What... What he promises, he will keep. He he does not move off of that. So God is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, self-existent, immutable. Pile all that together and say, God is almighty. That's what we're piling together here, is that we have this powerful, strong, ruling God reigning over all things. I believe in God. The Father Almighty. Meaning that we believe in a big God. He he is the center of the beginning of this creed. We don't start with, I believe that man is special. That's not how the creed starts. Because our focus is on the Lord. Oftentimes, in the modern world, even with God and church and religion, it's much more about man than it is actually about God. It's much more about what you're getting than it is about who God is. And so as a part of affirming a creed like this, is to say not only I believe in God, the Father Almighty, it is to start and say God is the center and the middle of everything. He he is the, the focus here. And so for us, as we begin and start our time, we begin with a focus on God, the Father Almighty. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We thank you for the great gift of being able to approach and speak to you so honestly, even with the great gap that exists between us. We thank you for the blood of Christ. We thank you for the grace that has been extended to us. But we don't deserve to be able to speak to you. We, we don't deserve to be able to request things of you. But Lord, by your grace and by your love, we can approach you and almighty God who loves us so dearly. Lord, I pray that you would take our eyes off of the small things of this world and help us to focus On you help our eyes and our minds and our hearts to be full of a big and glorious God and Lord as we get a view of how great you are and how powerful you are Lord help us to see just how small Lord how how easily you can solve our problems Lord just a view of just how much you are sovereignly ruling every day Lord, help us to see that by faith. Because, Lord, we believe in you. We affirm that tonight as a, as a group, as we've said it together. And, Lord, may we be people that walk out of here and live lives uh, that are honoring and pleasing to you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.